0: I want to just uh, ask something of uh, the young people that are still in here, uh, the young theologians. And as we read in those first three verses about an angel coming down out of heaven, uh, taking a chain uh, with a great lock on it and putting it around the ancient serpent or dragon, the devil, um, I, I wonder if you would draw for me today what you think uh, that kind of picture is being portrayed there, what it looks like uh, in your own mind. And then uh, after uh, the service is over, please show me that picture. And as you go home, ask your parents, uh, what do all these images uh, really mean for us? And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have given uh, you enough of a clue that we'll see what God is doing through that. Now, I, I have mentioned about uh, Revelation is a book that is zooming out and trying to give us a picture of what God is doing in history. And uh, it's, it's easy to make mistakes about this book. Uh, some people, uh, you know, maybe most Christians, are scared to even think about studying it. And uh, uh, I, I think part of that is because uh, we make it too complicated. Uh, in my view of the book of Revelation, is that it is giving God is giving us a series of portraits uh, about his rule and reign over history, what he's doing in the big picture in the heavens. Uh, the, the pictures are not in chronological order. They never claim to be. They're just in the order that uh, John, the apostle, saw them when he was on the Isle of Patmos. Let me give you uh, just a a quick example of that. A few years back, a first grade teacher collected well known proverbs. And uh, for her first graders, she gave each child in class the first half of the proverb and asked them to come up with the rest. Uh, And here's a sample of what she got. Better to be safe than punch a fifth grader. Strike while the bug is close. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. You can't teach an old dog new math. If you lie down with the dogs, you'll stink in the morning. An idle mind is the best way to relax. A penny saved is not much. (laughs) Two's company, three's the musketeers. (laughs) Laugh and the whole world laughs with you, cry, and you have to blow your nose. If at first you don't succeed, get new batteries. Uh, And one very appropriate for today, it's always darkest before daylight savings time. Now, why did I mention this? Well, this, this is a small picture of how uh, the mind of a child works. It's different than the way uh, the minds of uh, uh, teenagers and older adults work. Uh, but these little sentences give us uh, a picture, somehow, of uh, the way a child thinks. And in today's passage, we're going to get a small but vivid picture of God's working in human history. And I think the theme uh, in these verses is Jesus has victory among the nations. Jesus has victory among the nations. Uh, Just to go over uh, the first three verses again, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees that dragon that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. Uh, let's put up the map of Burma. Uh, I don't know how much you know about uh, Burma. You uh, n- know that uh, that was pro- a name given to it by the colonialists, the British. And uh, when uh, the Burmese themselves took back over again, they changed the name back to Myanmar. And uh, uh, th- this is a place that is in uh, Southeast Asia. If you can see the map very well, you'll see on on the west is uh, India, uh, parts of Bangladesh. Uh, on the right, China, then uh, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, Laos. Uh, it's, it's in that region. And um, not much was known about it uh, when uh, the British started going there. But in uh, 1817, a young American uh, who had a passion for showing people who Jesus was, telling them about him, named Adniram Judson. In 1817, he landed in Burma uh, to take the gospel to the Burmese people. And uh, he worked to learn the language. Uh, he spent time talking to people in the streets, and the markets, uh, preaching occasionally on street corners, uh, and uh, worked very hard at uh, learning this Burmese language, which was had no similarity at all to English. Uh, After working hard and um, preaching for seven years, he had seen one person come to Christ. And uh, Adoniram was very deflated, felt defeated. Um, But he said, how can I use my time? I, I still need to keep preaching, keep talking to people, but what can I do while I'm waiting to see God bring people to Christ? And so he began translating the Bible uh, from uh, uh, English into Burmese. And uh, uh, he continued doing that for a long time. And uh, uh, three years later, when he had been there for 10 years, nothing had changed. No more people coming to Christ. uh, A man showed up at his doorstep named uh, Kotha Bu. And uh, Kotha Bu, unknown to Nairam, had been a a robber in the mountains of Burma, had uh, murdered many people over his years as a robber, and he had come to the city uh, getting tired of all the bloodshed that he was doing in the countryside and wanting to find another way uh, to support himself and uh, that did not involve so much killing. And uh, Nairam didn't know any of these things, but he met the man. Uh, he could speak Burmese with him. Uh, even though his language was not Burmese, it was a language called Karen. And uh, he hired him. Uh, over a period of years, uh, four or five years, as they got to know each other, uh, Adniram invited Kothab Bu to join a Bible study. Now, uh, one thing that uh, Adniram didn't know uh, much about was the people. That Kotha Bu came from. And they were from the Karen people in the mountains uh, in Burma. Uh, they had resisted, converting to Buddhism. The, the Burmese themselves were Buddhists and trying to force everyone in the country to become Buddhists. Uh, the Karen refused. And something else he didn't know about the Karen is the Karen people had a, a legend that they had uh, held on to for who knows how many hundreds of years. And that uh, their ancestors, the legend was their ancestors uh, had made some evil decisions and rejected and lost the book of God uh, that had been given to them. And that eventually there was someone going to come, a tall, pale person, uh, who would bring that book back to them and they could learn about the true God whom they call Jehoah. Uh, Kothabu knew those legends. He didn't believe it. He was a robber, murderer. But uh, Adoniram uh, invited him into the Bible study using the Burmese Bible that he had translated along with other people. Uh, And he seemed really dense at first. And then he started to catch on and be really interested in asking deeper questions of Adoniram and others there, even deeper than some of the more educated people. And over a three-year period, uh, Kothab Yu, the robber-murderer, placed his faith in Jesus. And he said, all these things that you are telling me about and teach me about, uh, they are in a very vague way in the legends of my people. I have to go back and tell them that you brought the book back. And Kothab Yu, in uh, around 1830, went back to the Karen people, uh, began sharing Christ there. Uh, Adoniram Judson and other missionaries from the, the U.S. or from the Baptist Missionary Society didn't know exactly what was going on, but as Co shared with them, people were coming to Christ. Uh, and about a year later, uh, Adoniram was invited with other American missionaries to go up there to visit the people, and when they arrived, uh, they found that there were 5,000 people anxious to be baptized by someone who really knew this book uh, and had been um, uh, and in it for many, many years. And that was just the beginning, a revival among the Karen people that spread to other hill rural people in that part of Southeast Asia uh, for decades and decades. Now, what is going on here? Uh, these are not things that you're going to see on CNN uh, or Fox News uh, or any other news station for that matter. This is what God has been doing in history, and he's still at work among the Karen people in Burma uh, 200 years later. Uh, did that clear up all the problems of the Karen people? Uh, no. I mean, it doesn't clear up all everyone's problems. They've been persecuted now. Uh, for the last 30 years, again, by their own government, and some places trying to wipe them out, uh, genocide. But uh, many of them still hold on to Jesus. Jesus has victory among the nations. When John wrote this book uh, to the church from uh, the Isle of Patmos, uh, he knew what was going on. Uh, The church was under persecution. This was in the late first century, probably around 90 or 95 AD. Uh, Many of those who believed in Christ in Rome were used by the emperors as tortures for their garden parties. Uh, If they wouldn't recant their faith, they would pour oil over them, tie them to a cross, mount them, and burn them to light what was happening for their parties. Uh, Others were being thrown into the Colosseums to be uh, fighting against lions and horses and other animals uh, that would tear them to pieces. And yet Jesus says, uh, through this set of vivid pictures, I'm in control. Uh, They're not going to win. I have won the victory for you. And even though there is a time... Uh, when we're going to struggle because of the evil in the world, uh, mine is the victory. This is a time in the chronology of world events that the Father is drawing the nations to worship His Son Jesus. Now you see in that verse again the word uh, nations, verse three. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. J- just a, c- a couple of background issues. You, I don't know how many of you remember that the word nation, as used in the Bible, is not the same as we u- use it in ge- geography or in our schools here in the U.S. It's referring to uh, a- an ethnic group, uh, usually with the same language, that has lived in the same place, uh, shares a, the same culture uh, and the U.S. as a nation is something very different. It's con- conglomerate of all those things. It's more like the African concept of a tribe or like the tribes of Israel. Uh, sometimes that word uh, for nations, ethna, is translated as Gentiles. Uh, and other times it's referring to an ethno-linguistic group. Uh, some of you know that uh, I lived and worked in Uganda for about 15 years, and uh, Uganda, when we went there, was, was about 21 million people, uh, that was 30, 35 years ago, now there are 47 million people, um, and they have uh, more than 40 different languages in the country. Different regions, uh, different ethnic groups sometimes live and mix together, but people maintain. Uh, that language that they've had over centuries. Uh, Each one of those uh, languages would represent uh, an ethno uh, or ethno-linguistic group. Now let's look here at uh, something else that these verses say. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Uh, I've asked uh, Matt to help me uh, illustrate something. Uh, you know, this says that I saw an angel come down, and he had with him a chain uh, and a great lock. So this is not exactly a chain, uh, but we didn't have a chain, so this is going to be our chain. Uh, and sure. And the Book of Revelation says, "I'm sorry, guys." <laughs> now Matt asked me this morning, "Is this what you think of me?" He said, uh, "That the the Lord says for a specific purpose." And period of time, he bound the devil. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about that. But I wanted to just to show you something, if I can do this so that it doesn't come apart real easily. And I already know that if Matt wanted to get away, uh, I wouldn't stand a chance. Uh, but, okay, so I've got him under control, uh, but he still can inflict damage. So... He can get close to kicking Michael, he could go back, Uh, he could even kick Beckett or spit on him. Uh, There's lots of you that he could get to, but as long as I'm in control, I can keep him from reaching you. Thank you very much. So this is the picture that is in uh, Revelation 20. If we can get these uh, knots undone. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Uh, What the verses say here is, I saw that angel, angel means messenger of God, messenger from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Now listen to this so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. doesn't say he can't cause harm. Uh, doesn't say uh, he can't cause suffering or uh, disturb the people of God. But it says for this thousand years, he's no longer going to be able to deceive the nations. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. How is God at work among the nations uh, so that he prevents Satan from blinding those of us out in the world from the reality of who Jesus is? And that's what this thousand years is about, Uh, the gospel going out and the power of God and Satan no longer being able to prevent people uh, from seeing uh, what it means. Uh, I have another story to tell you. Uh, this is a story about Richard Jackson, and uh, I bet you didn't know this about Richard. Uh, I don't know if he's watching online this morning or not, uh, and he might be embarrassed by this story. But uh, you, you know, I'm not worried about that a whole lot. Uh, so when Richard and Rebecca moved into their new house in uh, Sandia Heights, uh, they got everything set up in the house, and uh, all the furniture arranged, everything cleaned up. And then one afternoon, while Richard was at home working, uh, a man knocked on the door, and uh, Richard, sitting from his desk, yelled, Come in. And the man came in, and uh, Richard just said hello, and he didn't know the guy. He just sat at his desk. And the man slowly, uh, first he took... Uh, the uh, 85-inch TV off the wall and carried it out to a truck. Uh, Then he came back inside. Uh, He went in. He had a uh, a hand truck with him, uh, loaded up the refrigerator, unplugged it, uh, chained it to the hand truck, carried the refrigerator out. Uh, Then came into uh, the living room and began taking the lounge chairs uh, and a big massage chair that they had in the living room. And uh, Richard just sort of smiled and said, yeah, it's okay, go ahead. Um, Now, do you believe that story? I didn't think you would believe it because it's not true. Uh, But it makes a point that the uh, gospel of Matthew makes. Uh, Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Uh, And uh, we see here, uh, this is about Jesus and his confrontation with the Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons, referring to Jesus. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive them, if I drive out the demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. Now, you get the setting pretty much from uh, Matthew 12 that the Pharisees had come to accuse Jesus. Uh, They were looking for ways to trap him uh, and say that he was not uh, following God, that he was uh, using other sources. In this case, they say uh, uh, Satan or Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus points out that... uh, you can't steal the possessions, and he's, he's saying to the Pharisees, you, and he's, that includes us, that's a royal you, we might say. Uh, before Jesus came, we were the possessions of the devil. We were in his grip. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know the ways of God. And only, you can't steal those things out of Satan's house, any more than you could from a strong man's house or from Richard's house um, unless God is at work binding the strong man, binding Satan, uh, just like we read about in Revelation 3, and then you can carry off his property. And Jesus carried you out of that house. He carried me out of that house, Uh, and he has limited Satan's power for that purpose that during this age of the gathering of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, uh, the, the devil cannot stop it. This day was promised by many Old Testament prophets. Uh, just a, a couple of passages, Jeremiah 31, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then uh, Habakkuk 2, And that day the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth, just as waters cover the sea. Jesus has victory among the nations. Now, what what does that mean for us? Well, it's a calling for us to be going forth uh, or as we go, where we work, where we study, uh, where we have leisure, where we are walking in the parks, uh, that our minds are on the goodness of God his deliverance of us, uh, to be able to share Christ with those who don't yet know him. God is sovereignly at work among the nations, making them a footstool for his son, Jesus. And there's all kinds of stories that we could tell you. um, And I'm going to leave out most of them because uh, time is marching on. Uh, But uh, just uh, one or two more real quick. Uh, how many of you, I'm, pro- I'm dating myself, I know for sure, 30 years ago would have thought the uh, Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain would fall. Almost no one thought that would happen. Uh, and yet it did fall. Uh, and Christian groups who were persecuted in the country of Russia and the former Soviet Union begged uh, for the West to send missionaries to them. And, and a few came but not many one of the places that uh, people didn't really get to uh, was Mongolia and here's God working building a picture there Mongolia in, uh, in 1990 and as late as the year 2000 only had four known Christians um, in a country of 20 uh, something million people uh, and and uh, there was no one, no one there to tell them. And what uh, God had prepared to do by working around the globe, a little boy grew up on a mission station in Africa, an African boy. Uh, he heard the gospel. He gave his life to Christ. By the time that he was old enough to go to the university, there had been a revolution in his country. And this would have been back in the 80s. And uh, uh, so he was able to get a scholarship to study in Moscow. And in Moscow, there were uh, uh, young men and women studying from all kinds of communist countries around the world. And this young man from Africa uh, spoke English because he'd learned that growing up on a mission station. And he met a young man from China uh, when he was studying in Moscow. And the young man from China said to him, he couldn't speak much English, but he said, I want to learn to speak English. Give me a Bible. And the young man from Africa had a Bible in English. He only had one, but he thought, this man needs it more than I do. So he gave him the Bible. uh, And this young Chinese man came to know Christ just through reading the Bible and eventually gave his life to Christ then he went back to China to work as an interpreter for the Chinese government. Then, uh, several years later, as he was working for the Chinese government, uh, they began, op- China began opening up to tourists and they wanted the Western currency to be able to use to buy things in other parts of the world. Uh, so the Chinese government tourism authority for which this young man worked who had become a believer uh, was asked to guide uh, a group of tourists uh, coming to China. Uh, and he agreed and said yes. And uh, in that tour group, unbeknownst to him, was another man he had never met before. Uh, this man was uh, a janitor at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And uh, uh, if you've not been in the PCA for a long time or been, spent much time in this uh, southeast, it's one of the larger churches in the Presbyterian Church in America, Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, has a gigantic missions conference every year and uh, uh, gives away millions and millions of dollars to support people who are sharing Christ in other countries. And this janitor had been working at Briarwood for uh, 20 years, And he had seen these missions conferences happen, conferences happen. Uh, He had heard the stories about them, uh, what people were doing, what God was using them to do. So after this conference in that year, uh, which was around 1990, he came to the missions committee and said, I believe God is calling me to go to China as a missionary. And someone on the committee looked at him and said, What's your education? It wasn't much. Others said, well, he's just a janitor. Uh, What use could he be on a mission team? But enough people on uh, the mission team there got behind him. Uh, They began uh, working to send him uh, to China. The Lord raised the money. Uh, And he was on that tour bus that the young man from Africa or the young Chinese man that heard the gospel from the man from Africa uh, was the interpreter for. Uh, and they began talking, sharing about uh, Christ together, how they had known him together. Uh, and then, 10 years later, they ended up in Mongolia as a team reaching out uh, to the Mongolian people, where in that year, uh, the year 2000, there were only four known Believers in Mongolia. Uh, Ten years later, partly through their testimony and witness, um, the uh, Operation World, which talks about Christians in many countries, says there were close to 40,000 Christians in Mongolia. Uh, And these two men, the janitor from Alabama, uh, the young Chinese man uh, who knew Christ through an African student uh, in Russia. And that was what God was doing. Many other stories like that. You may have heard, uh, what's the most successful mission-sending agency in modern history? And if I told you this before, don't uh, uh, spoil my fun. Um, The most, uh, you know, thinking about the most successful mission-sending agency in modern history, uh, let's look at what happened through some persecution. In China, when Mao Zedong uh, took over with the Communist Party in 1949, there were estimates that there were about a million uh, Christians in China. And uh, the communists hated Christians with a passion. They were one of the groups that they wanted to get rid of. So through all the uh, Uh, pogroms that they were doing against all kinds of groups, including Christians, uh, taking them before local uh, communist committees, uh, shooting many people, Uh, 500,000 people, Christians, uh, half of that group were murdered. Through the persecution, another half, 250,000 denied Christ, and there were approximately Uh, 250,000 Christians left in the country. After about five years of this, uh, even the Communist Party began getting tired of all the bloodshed. Uh, Why are we killing our own people? Uh, This doesn't make sense. But these Christians, they are troublemakers. They will tell people not to listen to the Communist Party. So they made a plan that what they would do, instead of shooting them, they would divide them up. We've noticed these Christians seem to thrive when you put them together. Uh, and they make trouble. So they took the 250,000 approximately that were left, and they uh, sent them out to work farms. Uh, Many of them were professors in universities, doctors, lawyers. They were sent to be a part of the communist uh, indoctrination on work farms, Uh, and they said, if we spread them out like this, they will lose their ability to uh, feed off of one another, and they will die out. Um, so they sent them out. Then, in uh, uh, 2010, approximately, this would be this was about uh, 40, 50 years later, when the bamboo curtain parted a little bit, and uh, Christian statisticians went in, heard from people, heard writings uh, from that 250,000. The number of Christians under pers- intense persecution in China grew from 250,000 to approximately 50 million. Uh, and today, Operation World estimates there are between 90 and 95 million uh, followers of Jesus in China. So I would say the most successful mission sending agency in modern history was the Chinese Communist Party. God has a sense of humor. Now, let's think about this. Jesus' victory among the nations. What does that have to do with you or me? Well, uh, God calls us. Jesus has victory among the nations. He's calling us to be a part of that. Uh, It's a privilege that he wants to use us. He doesn't just show up and zap people and make them Christians. Uh, But he calls us, as his followers to go, and wherever we are going, uh, and testifying of Jesus, loving people in the name of Christ, God works and uh, draws people to himself. Uh, He calls us to live for Christ wherever we are, if that's China, if it's Albuquerque, uh, if it's Washington, D.C., and our witness is always countercultural. It goes against the mores. Of the people around us. And the call is to live for Jesus. Remember, the Lord has given us, in a sense, this thousand years of peace. A thousand years is not um, an exact number of years in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. It's only mentioned in this chapter uh, of Revelation, in Revelation 20. The first six verses have the only references to a thousand years uh, in the scripture. Uh, But it's referring to a specific period of time, uh, a big period of time, uh, many commentators would say, that God is working, uh, the devil can't keep people from knowing about Christ, Uh, they're going to come as I'm calling them. Uh, And uh, he's the one that provides, that works in hearts, we're the ones that go and get the privilege uh, to share with people. Now it's interesting to think think about this in a little bit uh, deeper level. Standing for Jesus, where you go, uh, we, you have opportunities in this congregation. Uh, some of the things that God calls us to. Uh, it, one of them is prayer, and we hear from David and Angela uh, quite frequently about the Sun Network. Uh, that's a real opportunity to get involved. Uh, If you don't feel like you can go for uh, long periods of time, uh, going and seeing for a summer what God is doing uh, can really enliven your prayer life, give you a heart for what God is doing. Uh, Also, besides praying, uh, we can give. Uh, The Bible calls us, it really tells us, even though Uh, In in current days, we don't like to talk much about war or battles or armies or soldiers. Uh, There's there's a bad taste in our mouth from what has happened in our own history uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, Uh, but the Bible calls this uh, a spiritual war and uh, calls us to be entering in, in a spiritual sense, in this war. Uh, One of the ways is through praying. Praying. One of the ways can be through giving. Uh, one of the ways could be through going. Uh, or even more challenging, joyfully sending your children. Uh, uh, Jenny and I have known people that work with the mission that we work with, uh, Surge, that from the time they were eight years old, knew that God was calling them to be a missionary physician. Uh, we have know several people in that kind of a context. And God does call. Will we joyfully send our children? Uh, Another interesting thing, I think, is when when God commands us to do something, he's the one that makes the provision for it. Uh, And, uh, you know, just thinking about the U.S., the church in the U.S. probably gives more to foreign missions than any other church around the world, uh, but it really is uh, a small amount uh, some statisticians say uh, in the U.S. we spend more on men's toiletries uh, than we spend on sending people to evangelize the world. You know, that's a shocking way to think about it, uh, but it is uh, God who provides. And I think the scripture says, I heard someone say once, uh, God has provided all the money necessary to evangelize the whole world. That's the good news. He's provided that money, but there's bad news. Uh, That money is still in our pockets. Um, So that's a a funny way kind of to put it. But what God calls us to is to join his victory among the nations. This is not about a guilt trip or trying to trick people into giving or going, but it's calling us all together to look to Jesus to see what he is doing in this day during this thousand-year period Uh, When he's holding back the ability of Satan to blind people, uh, how he's calling us into participating into his victory among the nations. And if we we had time, I could tell you tens, uh, hundreds of more stories like what we heard today about how God is at work. Again, you're not going to hear it in the daily news, uh, but he is at work around the world. Jesus has victory among the nations and he is going to have the final victory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, what you have done uh, for us. We know that uh, you uh, came to the earth, uh, the Son of God, who were fully God and became fully man. And uh, you gave yourself, it's really uh, your sacrifice and your blood uh, that purchased us. So, Satan no longer has any right to us at all. Uh, We are not strong enough to defeat him, but you keep telling us in Scripture, reminding us that he who is in us, you, uh, is greater than he is in the world. Lord, thank you for that promise. Thank you for how you are building your church. Uh, Be at work in us so that we, as those who follow you, know how to be involved uh, through praying or giving or going or other ways. Uh, Through local ministries, uh, like reaching out to um, Hayes Middle School, Uh, there there are many opportunities for us. Lord, um, give us wisdom that we uh, shine for Christ when we're involved in those things, and keep lifting up the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray, through us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.